You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red. As familiar failings return from Nottingham Forest, beaten 5-0 at Arsenal yesterday as they conceded three goals in eight minutes at the start of a very miserable second half. So we're going to discuss that performance and look ahead to a crucial home game against Brentford in the company of, first of all, BBC Radio Nottingham presenter and yesterday commentator David Jackson. David, good morning. How are you? Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I love that I always seem to be invited on after Forest get tonked. So um, hopefully next time I'll be coming on after a, a victory. Fingers crossed. Well, I've put in my notes, this is your last appearance on the podcast. <laughs> on Halloween, you are the curse. The previous one was 4-0 at Leicester and now 5-0 at Arsenal. So we're not tempting fate with a 6-0. So, yeah, make the most of this appearance. <laughs> You'll be very welcome back on soon, I'm sure. Uh, second guest today is Michael Temple. Temps, are you well? Yeah, I'm good. I've got empathy for Jacko, actually, because he worked on this game for five hours yesterday and now we're dragging another 45 minutes out of him so so yeah it's all about him today value for money for the license fee that's all it is Tim. 100 <laughs> percent. david i'll let you have first dibs as you uh, me and Tim's watch it on tv uh you were in the stadium david i mean we, i said miserable in the uh, in the intro there for the second half how bad was it in person uh from pretty early on i think we sort of feared the worst of it because i thought arsenal looked brilliant from the start i, I thought saka looked uh, incredibly dangerous right from the off, um, you know, and, and obviously set up the goal just a few minutes in. And I thought Arsenal really in the mood here. And I thought Forrest were going to have a, a pretty long afternoon. Um, by the end of the first half, though, I, I sort of thought, well, that there may be an opportunity if Forrest can raise it in the second half. There might be an opportunity for, for an opening or two. Um, and they obviously didn't. Um, you know, ten minutes into the second half, the three 0 down, it's game over, and the whole thing just uh, just collapsed from there, really. And uh, Steve Cooper was very uh, clear in what he made of it after the game, uh, saying there was no sort of competitive element from his players in the second half. He was clearly uh, very angry and annoyed at the way that his players had approached that second half. And yeah, they they got what they deserved out of it, which was um, a bit of a thumping. I suppose temps the big debate for me which I mentioned in the notes, is where the balance lies between Arsenal's quality and Forrest's failings. Where was it for you? Well, it was clearly both, wasn't it? It was that combination of a team being ruthless when they saw uh, a, a team that were a team that was struggling. They went for the jugular and everything they tried seemed to to come off. But we were, we were passive again, weren't we? We were allowing them to, to play in front of us. And for all of the analysis that said there were times when, when our um, defensive shape was organised and you could see it was linear and deep and yeah, everyone was, was back behind the ball, but they weren't active in that shape. They weren't coming out to press. They weren't helping their mate. They weren't communicating. So I think there'd have been a collective frustration that Forrest didn't give the best account of themselves, but we'll come on to analyse the goals, I'm sure. And that's where you see the difference in quality in making that run across a defender, in delaying the pass, in making the pass, in changing the point of attack. And they did that superbly well. So, yeah, I was impressed with the manner in which Arsenal played, but Forrest will have to do far more than that to compete with anybody in this league. Uh, I'll ask you the same question, David, because I think it's one of the main cruxes of the debate, that quality versus failings for you. Where where do you stand on it? Um, I mean, Arsenal were brilliant. There's, there's no doubt about it. Arsenal, Arsenal were really, really good. I thought uh, Thomas Partey in midfield has controlled it. Everything went through him. They were brilliant Arsenal the way they 
um, they didn't just slow things down. They literally came to a complete halt at times. You know, it wasn't pedestrian. It was statues. The whole the whole pitch just stopped <laughs> while they just looked around and, and, and then started to make movement and then made things go. Um, Odegaard's class, isn't he? Um, uh, you, you know, so's party midfield. Xhaka's popping up all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I, I think there are frailties in their defence, which Forrest didn't really exploit. But I, I think there is a, a, perhaps a bit of a difference there, the difference between them and Manchester City. City is uh, silkier uh, in attack and probably a bit more solid in defence. So there's a, a bit of a difference there. But Arsenal are, uh, I, I, I mean, a, a million miles away from what Forrest have played in recent weeks. Miles better than Liverpool last week. Miles better than uh, anybody we've played since City. But, you know, like Michael said, really spot on that you just want them to compete in, in in that environment. If they'd have done what they did against Liverpool, which was closing them down better, getting those challenges in, making life difficult for them, forcing Arsenal to be the best they have to be in order to break them down, then you can walk away without any complaints, I think. But I don't think we did see that. I think Arsenal were allowed to just play the, the lovely football that they're clearly capable of doing. Um, and then in that, it, it, it just becomes impossible because they do have a defensive midfielder who, not for the first time this season, can just deliver a, a, a killer blow like Thomas Parsi did, just curling one into the top corner. And Odegaard, if he's got any room at all inside the penalty area, can just jink away and clip one into the top corner. You know, you compare that one, you compare uh, that goal with the chance that Jesse Lingard missed in the first half, and you think, well, there's a massive difference there, isn't there? Because he gets given uh, a free opportunity 12 yards out on goal, and it doesn't reach the goalkeeper. Odegaard has it with three players around him and he still manages to find a bit of space and, and curl it into the top corner. Look, Arsenal are brilliant and, I, and I'm convinced by seeing them, depending on injuries and so on, because I'm not sure about their depth, but looking at um, how good they are as a team, they will, of course, be up there come the end of the season. You know, you don't need me to tell you that. And, and that is always going to be one of the most difficult games for us play this season. But if, if they're not competitive in the way that uh, they have been in recent weeks and certainly were against Liverpool the week before, then whoever they play, they're going to struggle. Yeah, I mean, they need to find a way of playing away from home, don't they? There's ways and means of going about those performances that we've said before. And the, the first half at Brighton and the second half at Brighton were chalk and cheese, even though they went about it the same way. And there was, I think, a real lack of intensity in that se second half that I didn't see coming. Maybe I said, I was a bit naive. I thought Forrest had got past that, but to see players running parallel with men and not trying to tackle them and dangling legs and not getting out quickly to party. And they, I thought they had, they hung Henderson out to dry yesterday. I thought collectively that was disappointing. Go on, David, you want to cut yeah, in there? No, there was that. There was also something else, which I think <clears throat> I talked about quite a lot before the game on the radio as well, which is not making good enough use of the ball when they have it, because in these games, the way Forrest play, now, in this, this new system, they, they play quite deep, as you say. They've got three midfielders whose job there is to spoil the opposition, win the ball and then give it to the uh, the, the, the front three and, and let them try and do something with it. But they just didn't make good enough use of the ball. The the amount of needless times, they, they just gave the ball away. Um, and and it, didn't, it didn't stick up front when they, they tried to create something. There was, just, there was just nothing there. So every time they got the ball, they just gave it pretty much straight back. And it was so frustrating. And, you know, Steve Cooper tried to, you know, mix it up and make changes later on. And, um, you know, the game's gone, obviously, by then. But the amount of times, it, it, that was one of the big frustrations for me, that 
the, the times that they did work hard to get the ball back, they then just gave it straight back to Arsenal. And that that is eminently frustrating. And they, they did it against Liverpool as well, I thought, quite a bit, that of just not making good enough use of possession when, when they've got it. Um, and if they're going to play the way they're going to play, then you're not going to see a lot of the ball. You've got to make really good use of it when you've got it. And at the moment, uh, they're not doing yeah, I mean, it wasn't like Man City away, was it, Temps? They did get up the pitch and get into areas. I think when Worrell came on, more they were able to progress the ball and Williams could put in some good crosses. And I don't know what Emmanuel Dennis was doing when Brennan was free in the middle and he didn't cross. That's a, an under-the-radar an under the radar source of frustration, isn't it? Beyond the goals, I guess. Yeah, lots to be frustrated about. And I can't disagree with a word that um, Jacko has said there, having seen it all firsthand but we, we we have to solve a few a few problems pretty quickly because Arsenal there were far better prepared to play against a, a deep and compact team than Liverpool were through that patience through passing through the line as party did for um the, the Xhaka run that led to the to led to the second goal and also that 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 patience they didn't feel the need to to spring counters on us they waited for us to drop in then just relied on work rate and quality in individual players and movement to get in and amongst a really passive zone. So it's one thing being in that formation and having that shape and being being compact and organised, but that's just a starting point. That's not an excuse for not running when you get to that point, not affecting the ball, not closing down the shot, not blocking as they did. And you compare the chances when they came as, as David did then. Jesse Lingard has two fellas chucking themselves at his feet to, to block that shot, which was Forrest's best chance in the game. And there's far too many examples, be it Martinelli running through two banks of four, be it Odegaard dancing through four players, or be it um, Jesus holding the ball before that cross for Reese Nelson to, to score his, his second, of being better prepared within their system to know what to do with and without the ball. And we struggled with the ball yesterday, that we weren't playing progressively through the midfield. Cook and McKenna, perhaps a handful of times between them, play the ball into, into midfield. The long ball isn't isn't working. Tyro disruptive at times, brought it down, but then didn't have the support with him. And these individual actions need to be part of a system. So if we are going to lump it to, to Tywo, fine. Okay, percentage option. He'll bring a few down, but he needs he needs support around him to for the second ball to win the flick if he wins it. Sorry, to win the second ball if he flicks it, to um, pick up the pieces if he if he if he doesn't win it. And I, I just feel at the at the minute on the on the basis of of that performance that there didn't appear to be um, a cohesive game plan that everybody was buying into. Now, what I don't put that that down to them being badly drilled. I don't think people are playing to the tactical plan that's being made in the week. And you can see the shoulders going, and the arms being thrown out, and people getting frustrated with each other. Rewind a week, and we've played against Liverpool with a coherent plan where we've taken that chance but more importantly we've been far more active in the way that we defend and I'm not going to get into the pressing versus not pressing the debate again but what we showed against Liverpool was far superior to what we showed against Arsenal without the ball because in a very similar setup very similar positioning very similar formation there was a for me a lack of work rate within them within that that allowed Arsenal to, to prosper and, and Liverpool to fail so yeah deeply frustrating um, I'll come back to a one year because I thought he was symptomatic of a problem. Um, but uh, David, what was Steve Cooper's mood like afterwards? Because I read his quotes and he was seen more critical of the players than he has been in terms of not competing. I guess he might have said the same thing to you on Radio Nottingham. Did he appear 
more frustrated than he has done after defeats. Yeah, yeah, he, he seems quite um, quite annoyed, um, frustrated, uh, quite angry with what he'd witnessed, particularly in the second half. Uh, he said there hadn't been a competitive element in that uh, second half in particular, um, and I think he was surprised by it. So you know, and I, I said to him. It, it seems odd that you've been able to do that for weeks and you do it for Liverpool, but then they're not quite up for, you know, the, the league leaders away. Well, second before the game, but, you know, the, the top team away from home, you'd think this would be a perfect place where you'd want to go. Having just beaten Liverpool, you're against a team who potentially might be a little bit tired. You know, they've played a lot of games of late because of the Europa League. They've been away in, in Europe only on Thursday night. Like, here's an opportunity. You've just beaten Liverpool. You can go there and maybe grind them down and... Um, tie them out a bit and work work them hard and, and maybe maybe get something out of it. But that that wasn't there, um, and he was clearly annoyed, frustrated uh, by that. Um, so yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't in the best of moods. I've got to be honest. Um, and and what you often get from managers when you speak to them after games like that is that they're quite sort of single minded in in the message that they want to get out. Like no matter what question you ask, <laughs> every answer yeah. comes back to the same point. So you know that they've got this one thing in their mind that's clearly annoying them. And that was the phrase of the competitive element. That That's what was getting him. That's what was getting his goal. That kept coming up and that the players need to take responsibility. He kept saying they need to take it personally and he need, they need to get a reaction. And they, they do need to get it quickly. They've got a couple of home games, uh, uh, three home games if you include the League Cup. But in, in terms of the league, which is the important bit, two two home games now. Uh, before the World Cup, and you'd have to say, not on the evidence of the Arsenal game, but certainly on the evidence of the games before, that's an opportunity now to get points on the board um, and get themselves into a healthier position before the uh, before the break, when he will have an opportunity, uh, perhaps a bit of an advantage for Steve Cooper over some other coaches in the Premier League over that World Cup, that he'll have an awful lot of his players around to be able to work on certain things that he wants to work on for five or six weeks, which... Um, you know, other clubs won't have. So, Temps, I'm going to ask you a question you can't answer, which may what kind of renders it pointless. Um, but <laughs> how do we explain the disparity between the intensity and the pressing of Liverpool versus what we saw about the Arsenal? Well, I mentioned a one year. I mean, he gave Van Dijk a tough game uh, at the City ground. He was he was like a pinball at Arsenal. He couldn't. He was getting bounced off everything, and he's a big guy. I don't. I mean, I don't understand it. Can you put any kind of explanation for that disparity? I think Arsenal were better prepared to play against our style of football than Liverpool were. I think Liverpool came with their standard game plan and expected uh, to line up with 11 better players than ours and just dictate as they normally do. I don't think they'd done too much to prepare specifically to play us, whereas Arsenal had, um, for all the reasons that, that, that David mentioned earlier. In terms of uh, a one-ye specifically... He encountered Virgil van Dijk on an off day, right? Both both defensively and, and going forward. He was out of sorts and all at sea. And he found himself in far more of a battle this week. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those, isn't it? Individual performances, human beings. They have weeks where they're six out of ten, weeks where they're nine out of ten. And Taiwo is the only player of his squad. So he's going to get a run of games now to try and make this this system work. But he was far more effective against Liverpool, I think, because he found Virgil on an off day, because he had the support of the city ground um, behind him. And yeah, it whilst he was being asked to do a very difficult job, 
leading the line against that team in a game where you're going to have 30 percent uh, possession is is no easy task. Uh, he he did he shone last week and, and and wasn't quite hitting that same standard this time around. So yeah, not one I can explain or would read too deeply into. But I will give Arsenal this credit; they respected Forest enough to prepare properly to overcome a team that were going to be content to let them have the ball. Yeah, I don't just want to dig Tyro out. I mean, I thought pretty much everyone was poor. Did anyone emerge with credit, David, do you think? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. can't think of anything. The keeper the goalie done to a point? Of, the goalie I, just, to yeah. say, I, I was just saying, I don't think there's anything that the keeper could have done with any of them. Um, I think outside of that, um, if Steve Cooper was here, he'd say that they have to take collective responsibility. And I think that's probably right. Because there was just something about the whole performance from everybody. You know, I, I thought Emmanuel Dennis, when he came on, you know, I know, again, it's late on and your team's 5-0 down. But, you know, he did a lot of running. But at the same time, it, the, the time he had the perfect opportunity to lay a ball across the six-yard box for a free Brennan Johnson at the back post, he checked back and then went back outside and checked back again and back outside and thought he was going to be there for the remainder of the game at one point before he checked back and made a pass. So, you know, that that was a bit frustrating, but too many of them gave the ball away, really. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm not sure there's anybody who I'd look at and say, well, if I, if, if I was the sponsor and I had to pick a Forest Man of the Match, I think I'd have probably, you know, I'd, I'd have had to go for Henderson. And that's, you know, that's a goalkeeper who's conceded five goals um and it, it, not not just the not really being his fault I, I'm, I'm not sure who you'd particularly want to pick out and say did well because they've just been beaten five nil and pretty tamely yeah the only other player i wrote down i thought um i thought Aurier had a decent enough certainly first half and he wasn't the worst in the second half, but yeah, like you say, collectively he was poor. And I, I, I would still play a one year in these next two games. I think, like I said last week, he's very green, a very rough diamond, and you're probably going to get those kind of performances. I think, from I think he'll benefit from a run as well. You know, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of been in and out a little bit, and he's been getting getting used to in a new country. Although I know he's been at Liverpool before, but he's been out on loan um, everywhere pretty much that entire time. Um, you know, and he's, he's settling in new club, and he's he, he, it's not like he's been given loads and loads of chances. He he has missed some, I know, I I, I take that, but he's also you know he's he's got a few goals, um, and I think he's overall getting better, and certainly played his best game in a Forest shirt against Liverpool only last week. So yeah, I, I'd absolutely say keep playing him. Uh, I think they've just got to work out a way of getting the best out of him. And also, if you're going to play uh, Lingard and Gibbs-White in the same team, you've got to find a way of making that work and getting the best out of them and, and working out how how that's going to operate. Um, and they've tried it with, you know, Brennan Johnson in there. They've tried it with Emmanuel Dennis in there. And they've tried these different systems, but they, they need to work out a way. And if you're going to play so many sort of more defensive-minded midfielders as they are doing at the moment, then there's a big reliance on those three up there between them. Uh, maintaining possession up there, maybe while they wait for a bit more support from the other midfielders or creating opportunities themselves, and they've got to try and work out a way to make that work because uh, um, at the moment it, it doesn't seem to be very well. Yeah, I mean we'll branch off into Brentford in a minute, but just finishing on away games. Luckily they don't have an away game now till after the World Cup, so they've got plenty of time to work on this. Attempts. You said you don't want to talk about pressing, but I'm going to rephrase the question anyway because I'm putting it down here. We saw Leeds go to Anfield 
and play an aggressive way and win. And I'm not sure beating Liverpool is quite the achievement we thought it was a week ago necessarily. But I mean, Forest have gone to Newcastle, Man City, Arsenal, Brighton. I think they've gone everywhere and they've sat deep and they've been picked off. And I don't think it's really worked. Cooper's got to work out a way now of playing an effective away game, hasn't he, to to be more competitive. And I've scored one goal away from home. So, I mean, he's not in an easy situation, but there's a there's work to do, isn't there, in away games to pick up some points. Yeah, and there's a happy medium between gung-ho pressing the, the, the Leeds way in that game, right, and what we've been doing. And I think the Liverpool game is the best template for that. So while it was a home game, it was against quality opposition who were going to have a lot of the ball. So the happy medium we found there was let the centre-halves have it. Let them play square passes in their own half all day long. Don't chase shadows there. They'll have Taiwo sit on the distributor, the, the central defensive midfielder, whose job it is to get on the ball and play from there. So he's not receiving the ball in space, able to look up and spray it any number of ways. So that's that's his job. The job of Gibbs, White, Lingard, whoever find themselves in those wide positions, is to stop the easy channel ball into midfield or inside the fullback a la the one we saw Xhaka and on to do for their second goal yesterday. They have to they have to stop that. Beyond that, the midfielders and the defence have to be touch tight on the attacking players who are looking to get on the ball in, in Forest final third. So why it worked since Liverpool was, I think it was Lingard and Gibbs-White stopped their fullbacks strolling onto our fullbacks and only being engaged in the, in the final third. Prior to that, we'd seen a really passive lack of pressing where everybody backed off and they're able to wander into our final third where where they'd be engaged that's the way to do it for me so it's a happy medium between letting them stroll onto us with no pressure and pressuring the right people without chasing blind shadows exhausting yourself and just having quality players at this level pick you off pass around you and walk onto your 18 yard box so yeah that i'd, I'd copy and paste the, the liverpool defensive style for away games and at home is where I'd perhaps be far more attacking than we have been because we're already at a stage where draws against Brentford and, and Palace perhaps won't be enough. Three points from those two, four points from those two, OK, decent return. Two points or less from those two, we, we could be in a bit of bother. And I think we'll, we'll regret it if we find ourselves being passive about the ball again in games we really need to force. Mm-hmm. And just the last one, specifically on Arsenal. I mean, David, I don't want to give out participation medals, but I feel like we should probably mention the fans again because they they do make they don't make a difference on the pitch. They they make a difference in terms of Forest reputation, I think, because again, the commentators were were lauding the fans for their constant support and constant making noise. I think it does need some recognition, doesn't it? I, I think they do make a difference on the pitch. To be honest, I, I think you know you only have to look at. The, the home games from last year and, and yeah sorry yeah I'm out of away games but yeah sorry oh, away games yeah well but to be honest there were times when in the second half when they were three or four nil down and we got a rendition of Mullough Kintyre from the fans mm. in the corner which you could hear over the Arsenal fans you see the, you know the Arsenal fans it was, it was interesting being in there that it seemed to take for them to be three or four nil up before there was any real noise from from the home supporters? The majority, and maybe it was just the stand I was in, but more of them were sort of taking selfies for their for their Instagram than uh, bothering to m- make as much noise as as Forest supporters do. You know, at, at their ground and, and the amount that the noise that the Forest man has made in in that corner, making themselves heard in a massive stadium when they're tucked away alone in a corner. 
Um, and that's what they are becoming known for. And you're right, absolutely, that is their reputation. Not just, you know, this isn't just Steve Cooper saying it because it's a nice thing for him to say about the club supporters or, you know, local journalists to be able to say it because it, it, it's just, you know, saying something nice about local people. This is a reputation they have beyond that. You know, you hear national commentators just being stunned by the noise they get at the city ground uh, because it is different to, to other grounds. And it was different um, at, at Arsenal. They, they were They were... You know, making a racket. Uh, I noticed a few had gone before the end. Can't say I blame them. It always takes ages to get out of London, and they didn't look like Forest were going to score. There's only a few had gone, but I, I don't particularly blame them. Um, a lot of Arsenal fans had gone as well by by the end. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it was they are always brilliant, and I think there is still that element of them. Although they would have been there, they understand the game. They would have been frustrated by the fact they didn't get as much as they wanted from their players. They also understood that that was always going to be a very difficult game. They didn't go there expecting to get anything from it. Uh, and so they went home with kind of what, what they expected in terms of a result, maybe, but uh, but perhaps not in terms of, of what they'd seen from the players. But they certainly you know, made themselves known and got rightly uh, the head coach and, and players going over to applaud them after the game. Mm-hmm. Um and do you think, and people might agree or disagree with me in the comments here, I mean, is all forgiven, David, if they get these four points or six points from the next two games? Sunday's completely forgotten at, high, at, at the Emirates? Uh, I think Sunday has to be forgotten immediately anyway, to be honest. I don't. I think you, you, you can't start dwelling on, on that. I mean, uh, Steve Cooper will have to, and he will go through it with the players, and he'll, he'll have to pick them up on it and, and get more from them. But yeah, from a, from a fan's point of view, just write that off you know you have you have to move on you can't can't start dwelling on games like that these these were all these next two were always going to be the bigger games from forest point of view because these are the games that you hope and expect to be able to get something from um forest played these home games the way that they played the last home game and and they should get something out of it um so of course it will be forgotten forgiven if if your next performance is decent then you scrap the one before it don't you let's just get the points from the games that that you've got more more of a chance of getting them from especially at home which is where they're always going to get the vast majority of their points this season get those and uh, and move on and head into the head into the world cup hopefully in a in a healthier position mm. so if we agreed that Temps, we go back to the Liverpool template performance and try to reproduce it. Do you pick the same players that played against Liverpool, or do you? I think there was only one change at Arsenal with Lodi. Do you give Lodi another chance to show he's better than he was yesterday? What what kind of team are you picking? No, Nico comes back into the side for me on the left hand side. I think Lodi has um, struggled to form a little bit in games. Must be doing a bit in the week to convince Cooper to give him that start and having watched the, the best of Lodi in a good team, he is good going forward. He has been in sides where he's had far more licence to get forward and sides that have enjoyed far more possession. So I think Nico is the horse for this particular course. And I'll make this point about team selection. I think to give Cooper the credit he deserves, nobody was calling for Coyete and Aurier to become mainstays of this Forest team. And Certainly in the Liverpool game, they, they proved their worth and proved themselves um, justifying of that, that selection. The other debate for me is what you do with Lingard, because I know we've said this before, you can be perceived to be a better player when you're out of the team, but um, 
Emmanuel Dennis and Brennan Johnson will be desperate for another chance. And with Lingard having started the last two games, he'll be coming under pressure. So I, I wonder if Cooper will keep faith with him or if you'll see an opportunity to, to reintroduce one of those players to the side. But the change I would definitely make is Williams in for Lodi. Yeah, I mean, do you agree with that, David? And I'll put you on the Lingard spot as well, because I'll throw you under the bus. He, so many of the comments today have been about Lingard. Where where are you on Lingard and, and what temps is about Williams versus Lodi? Uh, Lingard, um, we haven't seen the best of Lingard by, by any stretch so far this season. Um, I think if you've got a player who's obviously got that uh, amount of ability, then you, you, you've got to try and find a way of, of getting that out of him. And whether that's to do with systems, whether that's to do with where exactly where he's playing, how what's expected of him, whether it's to do with other players and how to make a better use of him, or whether it's just down to him, that is something that um, Steve Cooper would be able to answer. But he he must be looking, and he's not the only one, by the way, who's not delivering the amount that you'd be hoping from him. I think you just probably hold him to a slightly higher standard because you know of what he's capable of, um, and also everything around him in his name everything associated with it, you sort of have a different expectation level, I think, with him than than other players. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly, we've not seen as much from him this season as uh, as he's capable of. So, what do you do with him? Do you, Steve Cooper's got a choice, hasn't he? You you keep playing him and you, you make that work and then maybe longer term that will be um, a good idea because if you can get the best of Lingard, then that's really valuable. We saw it against Spurs, how good he can be, what he can do in a game when he's really on it. And he was, I thought he was outstanding against Spurs. He was popping up everywhere, linking up play, moving things, exactly what we're needing from Forest at the moment, moving play from defence up to attack with a few little clever little passes and making it work brilliantly. But we haven't seen that from him in other games. Now, like I say, I don't know whether that is down to him or whether that's down to where he's played, what's being asked of him or, or any other things. I, I, I don't know and I couldn't pass judgment on that. That's something Steve Cooper would know. Uh, far better than me, but so that that's the choice. He, he he will know Steve Cooper whether playing Emmanuel Dennis say instead and getting his pace is that what he needs against a Brentford defence or does he want to try and persist with uh, Lingard and Gibbs White in that system and making it and and making it work in the way that he is envis envisaging it working. That that's only something he knows because that's something he's working with on on the training ground. As for left back, yeah, again, I'd I'd say again, Renan Lodi. I think he's perhaps better used, and certainly in the past, further forwards. So when you're playing a flat back four, is that is that the right place for him? I I, I quite like Nico Williams at, at at left back as well. Um, so I, I can completely see why you might have wanted that. He he may have had a bit more joy with Saka cutting in on his left foot and crossing as well. With um, with Williams being a more naturally right footed, he might have had a bit more joy with that. I don't know. Um, so it, look, I, I think it'll probably just come down to horses for courses. He'll probably look at what what Brentford have got, see what he thinks he needs, and then that age old question. You know, when, when a player's out of form or you're not getting what you want out of them, do you persist with them to long term get it out of them or? Drop them out of the team. You know, he did it with Brendan Johnson. He gave him a lot of games at the start of the season. Wants to get the best out of him because you know that when Brennan Johnson is giving you what he's capable of, you, you've got a good chance of winning football matches. But then eventually he goes, actually, let's let's take him out for a couple of games and we'll we'll bring him back later. That's that's a, a, a psychological decision and a, a tactical decision that 
Um, I think probably only Steve Cooper has the answer to, I'm afraid. The, the big point you landed there, David, was about wanting the best of Lingard. And I think if we saw the best of any of these players we're debating, they'd be in the team and they'd keep the place for a run of games. And that's the challenge we've got now is we're not necessarily um, bringing people into the team because they are playing outstandingly well, banging on the door, grabbing their 20 minutes. We're talking about taking out the, the people out of the team because they're they're struggling. And that's, that's a tough spot to be in. And nothing would make any of us happier than have talking here about Lingard or Lodi having ran a match, been 8 out of 10 and affected the game positively in both directions. We're just not quite seeing that at this point. But their understudies aren't ripping up trees either. So we've just got to get to that point where someone puts their hand up, has a consistent run of matches where they're affecting it in the game, making a difference, um, delivering the delivering the game plan and ultimately putting points on the board. Because it's so much easier to make a case for the players that did well against Liverpool. We've changed one player in the eleven and they've come unstuck at, at away at Arsenal. And that's that's a huge frustration for us as as, as fans and, and you guys um covering them in the in, in the media. So I, I can only um yeah empathize with the challenge that Steve Cooper is having now, sat at his desk thinking, right time to pick these boys up and go again and form an 11 pretty quickly so he can prepare them for the weekend. We've had that a few times this season, actually, where you see players will come off the bench, maybe impress, and then the next game, that the, 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 there's been nothing from them. You know, we've seen, seen it a few times and that level of inconsistency from players has been really, uh, really frustrating this season. You know, that, that performance yesterday, uh, a little bit like the Leicester one, where players who'd forced their way into the team playing that game and then do absolutely nothing in that game. And you say, well, hang on a minute, you, you know, those players were in the team because of what they did here and then and then they've done nothing. So there's that sheer inconsistency. Is, it, it must be hugely frustrating for Steve Cooper. The only thing um, that you can hope, uh, like I say, I, I think this, this World Cup break can be really important, I think, for Forrest because it's a genuine opportunity, you know, to go back against the amount of new players um, in 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 that squad and around that club. There he's got a good few weeks, and not that many of those players will be away on international duty. A few of them, but actually not not that many. And he's got a really good opportunity there to get the players all together, work on a few things, um, and you know, then it's only Man United and Chelsea to come, isn't it? After, after the break, but you know, there's there's that hope that we haven't actually played that many games by Christmas you know we're not you know we're not halfway through the season you know we, we've got got an opportunity to use that second half after Christmas to to maybe hopefully be a little bit different to what they've been in the first half. Um, I want a quick one on, on Lodi. I wouldn't be averse to seeing him play as a left winger in away games in front of Williams and maybe double up defensively and that might might help him out I don't think that might be a way to go. Um, on Brentford then just looking at that one specifically. We don't normally talk about opposition players, temps, but Ivan Tony is one of those few players in this league that is a talisman like Mitrovic at Fulham and a couple of other teams have got them. How big is the absence of, of him for Brentford, do you think? Look, it might be the only game he misses for the rest of the season. So, absolute great luck that he's he's five yellows, isn't it? It's a one-game ban yeah. for five yellows. So, he'll be yeah. straight back in the game after. So, we have to take advantage of that. It will influence our selection, the way we play. Um, there, there is a massive, I don't want to say a lack of a threat, but they're going to lose the focal point and a consistent uh, goal scorer who got them up and has, has kept them up. 
not single-handedly. They're a good side. There's a lot of um, scientific prep that goes off at Brentford, both both in terms of the way they bring players to the club and the way they set up and play. But they have come to rely on his goals. So it's a massive advantage not having him around. And I think for the first time in a little while means we can go into a game looking to be on the front foot, be the aggressor, maintain the ball a bit better than we, we, we have been doing and look to exploit that because... Yeah, huge advantage. Their leading goal scorer, the player that's had the best shout in a long time at Brentford of getting into that England, England squad, England team even at times with some of the runs that he's had uh, recently is going to be missing. So we have to grab that. How big are these? I mean, you have to say them as a pair, don't you, David? I guess these games, a lot can change in what happens the rest of the season based on these two matches, doesn't it? If Forrest can get, I guess, four points minimum for me, probably. Yeah, I think if you're going into that break um, <clears throat> adrift, then it puts huge pressure on it, doesn't it? After um, after the World Cup, when, as I say, you go you're going to Manchester United away and, and Chelsea at home, and that they're two massive games, and you, you sort of you can't help but just worry about that a little bit. You want to have a bit of a you want to have a few more points on the board before you you play in those games, and I, I think going into a, a a long break, if you're going into that just after some wins you go into that you've got that optimism over that time um then steve cooper's doing that work with his players on the back of some positive results um it, you've really got to be careful to make sure that this win at arsenal isn't isn't that damaging because you know they've made progress over the last few weeks you know they only conceded two goals in what four games and one of them was a dodgy penalty at, at wolves um i know they're you know, there could have been more goals, let's, let's be honest. I mean, you know, Brighton and, and Van Dijk had opportunities for Liverpool. I, I get that. But they they had got so much more solid defensively. They'd worked, changed the system, worked so hard to get that get that change implemented and, and working. So you just hope this isn't, isn't a massive step back. Um, I hope they can just look through it. They've got a week. They can just look through it and say, right, it's three home games now. They're where they're happiest. Um and an opportunity to to get points on the board. The League Cup, as I say, less important, but these are just games at home um, where they've got their fans around, where they they know they can win matches and they can score goals. Like you said, away from home, they've only got that one from Brennan Johnson at Everton um, in, in an entire season so so far. So yeah, I, I think I think this is this is, has to be seen as a big opportunity. I think we have to. Um, try and look beyond what happened at Arsenal and say uh, Forest's form at home isn't so bad. And they've got a couple of games, like you say, against an Ivan Tony Les Brentford and then win that and then Palace suddenly looks um, winnable and then you can go into the break in a, in a positive frame of mind. There's a good point in the comments actually about would we have accepted three points as a decent tally from the Liverpool-Arsenal run before those matches and the answer is yes of course we would so i hope we're not too down about the fact that we've played these games in this order and just been turned over having won if we'd have lost to liverpool and beaten arsenal the entire tone of this conversation would be the same so as long as the boys aren't battle scarred and can fly out the traps in these two matches we've actually been on a decent run our, our form in the last five games has been so much better than our, our first five games and I, I really hope we can harness last week rather than the Arsenal game, because were we ever going to get points at the Emirates? Probably not the way they've been going this year. So, I mean, how optimistic are you, Temps? Because 
Palace, to me, chalk and cheese home and away. I've seen them a couple of times. They look a, a decent side at home. They should have been Southampton by more. But in away games, I mean, they look like you can get at them as well, can't you? Yes, I mean, they, they have a, a... Well, in Eze and Zaha, I think, to outstanding attacking talents that have gone missing in, in certain away games, haven't they? And that they do take risks and they do cheat occasionally and, and try and pin full backs and, and knock track back. So, yeah, Palace are, Palace are beatable, as are, as are Brentford. But I've, I've said this consistently throughout the year. Outside of the top six, we have to give everybody a go at home because staying in this league is about points at home, where it's difficult for anybody to go away and get, and get wins on the road. And then you, you battle for results away. But we, we have to find a different way, a more attacking way of playing at home, particularly when circumstances like this present against two teams who are, OK, inconsistent um, and perhaps in the, in the Brentford case, missing their, missing their star man. But yeah, to, to answer your point against, uh, about Palace, we will have chances on the counter because they will commit forward in, in number and, and take risks. They're, they're a good side. You know, every team's a good team. Every player we come against is a, is a good player. But I think there's far more we can do looking within to give ourselves a better chance in in these matches. Mm. And someone, I think it was Gary in the comments, David said, "Palace and Brentford are hardly going to be fearing us." Is is that to Forest's advantage in a sense? With the you know, Forest are the underdogs for a reason, aren't they? But they shouldn't have fear themselves going into these games, should they? Um, I, I, I do think that's right. I think outside of um, outside of here, I think a lot of people are. You know, seeing Forest as a bit of a, a a soft touch if if they've watched certain games. You know, if if they've watched um, the Leicester game and seen the Arsenal one, they'd say, well, that's a game that we should be getting points. Of course, if you're a Brentford fan or a Palace fan, of course, that's that's what you're thinking. Um, but um, they must also be aware that that if you're not on it, uh, then then Forest can beat you because they beat Liverpool, um, and you know, it, they have changed from. Arsenal game accepted. They have changed enormously from where they were earlier on in the season. They've become a lot, a lot tighter, um, and they must also be aware that playing at Forest is a, a different experience to playing at most other Premier League grounds. Um, so, yeah, you're right that there'll be a lot of people who will always look at Forest and say, "Oh, the bottom of the league. That should be a game that we should win." But it's up to Forest to to make sure that when they uh, they actually come here and play them that they're, they're taught a new lesson about what it is to play at the city ground because they can make life very, very difficult for, as we've seen just a couple of weeks ago, they can make it very difficult for just about everybody in this division if if and when they're at it. You've said, you've said that, made that point twice now about the fans and it's so important. And there was a comment about um, noise doesn't equal points. It can at home. Mm. And I think almost to a man, every team that has visited the city grounds acknowledged in some way that we have a, 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 ferocity, a ferocity of support that belies our position in the table. And of the last 10 games at the city ground, let's include Sheffield United in the playoffs, let's include West Ham, Spurs, Liverpool. If they're not amongst the 10 loudest games, most atmospheric games of all time at Forest, then I, I, I don't know what, what is. So, that is key. We and have to stay behind the team. It's the timing of the noise as well, I think. And you, you're right, you pick up on the Sheffield United game in the playoffs. You know, it, Even at a time when 
it felt you felt in your heart like it oh no is it going to be one of those games where everything crumbles and actually what you got was a roar from the forest supporters and that's got to translate to the players that go no no we're, we're not letting this happen we're not going to let this happen we are going to keep going and you know the noise around the city ground where forest have just conceded a goal is phenomenal it, it, it's this kind of we're behind you we're behind you it, when they can see especially when they can see on the pitch those players are, are trying their best out there they will make that noise they will get behind them and and that's got to help and it's also got to say to the opposition right there they're not they're not going to give up you can't say that oh we go to the forest ground and we just you know we keep them quiet after 20 minutes get an early goal and get the fans on their back it doesn't happen doesn't happen. Managers say that kind of thing for a reason because at some grounds it does happen and it can be an advantage for, for the away team. It's not the case at, at the city ground and I, I completely agree with you. I think noise can help the players on the pitch and I think it, it can therefore directly impact uh, what can happen out there at certain times of the game. It, it can dictate what happens and attitudes and responses to things. And, and it's it's massively important and it's hugely in Forest's favour. You've got to, got to harness that. And if there's one thing I do hope they take out of Arsenal, picking up something you said, David, there about being a soft touch, as professional players in the Premier League, that's got a sting, being taught, you know, people perceiving you as a soft touch. Because they were a soft touch, uh, you know, yesterday. They was like a hot knife through butter. And that's happened at Man City, which is understandable. It's happened at Leicester, which is less understandable. You know, the players, I hope that I hope that stung that they were perceived as weak yesterday and they, they step up in these next two home games. Well, I think that's what Steve Cooper was talking about uh, when I spoke to him yesterday about they, these players have got to take it personally. And I think mm. that's that's what he means. They, they've got to look at that and go, look, we, we don't want to be perceived like that. We don't want to be seen like how we've played today. They, they've got to say, right, how do we how do we want to be seen? We want to be seen as a, a, a tough team, we want to be seen as a team who do not lie down, who do not give anything away easily. Um, and that's why I think he made those comments, that they've, they've got to take it to heart, they've got to take it personally, that result, that performance, and they've got to put it right immediately. Because they, you know, ultimately they're judged on what, what happens on the pitch, right? And you ultimately judged mainly on your last game. And, and their last game, they'll be going through watching back uh, today and and they'll be horrified by by much of what they saw um, but thankfully the one way they can um, resolve that or make things better is that they have another game in a week and it's at home and it's a game that they need to go out and and show what they're really about agreed agreed right uh, I think we'll probably leave it there apart from any other business temps anything you want to add just a couple of notes I made just reading through the comments. One was about priority. If we do spend money in January, I think it's a number nine for me. There's a lot of chat about Surridge, but I think Alwini is the percentage option as our out-and-out number nine at the minute. But if they go to market, I think we could see Forrest targeting a, another striker of that ilk as well. Someone who can be a focal point, who can lead the line, can give a physical challenge to opposing centre-halves. And I, I think that could well be the, the priority come, come January. Second point, uh, what will happen if we don't put in a good performance, achieve the points we need from these next two games? I honestly don't know because the flip view of that break around the World Cup, if confidence is shot and we find ourselves adrift at that point, there'll be action required to, to get us back on track. And I just wonder how much patience they'll, they'll be uh, amongst the ownership at, at, at that point. But yeah, already looking to January because knowing how hard it's been to get here 
and the backing that the owner put into Forest in the previous transfer window, I, I think we can expect to see some checks signed in January. Yeah, 100% think they sign another number nine in January. And whether someone goes one of these forwards or not, I don't know. But I would be shocked if that isn't the priority signing. Uh, David, anything you want to add before we depart? Um, the food was good at Arsenal. It is good at Arsenal. Um, yeah. the, uh, the best food in the Premier League, I think, in the in the press box. Charlie Slater was with us. Who'd been His last away game was at Wheelstone with Notts County. I think he was somewhat shocked when we were offered a choice of beef and ale pie or seared sea bream. Um, which is uh, <laughs> what would Roy Keane have said to us as as we took into our pretty much meal? I don't know, but yeah, the the food was good. That was um, that was the highlight of uh, of the long trip to Arsenal. Didn't Chaz once almost choke on his chips at Meadow Lane? He did. Uh, Lee, Lee Curtis saved him. He did. Yeah, he Lee did, Curtis of the post. He literally saved, saved his life, life my colleague. Saved yeah. his life. Really did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you be careful when you're with Chaz at a buffet because I've been to <laughs> Nando's with him recently, and he does eat rather quickly. <laughs> He normally has a lot to get through, that's why. Well, well I'll get Lee to be on standby around in 2470. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to everyone for the comments, very much appreciated. I should say, uh, there's a guy called Nick who hasn't watched this week, but he always says like and subscribe in the comments because we have more viewers um, than we do subscribers and we get about 300 likes a video and there's like... 7,000 people watch the video. So if you can help me out and uh, give it a thumbs up, that would be very much appreciated. And subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else. That would be very good. I don't think we'll be back until after the Brentford game. But if we are, uh, we shall bring you a preview of that match. In the meantime, Temps, thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Good to see you, Jacko. Good to see you guys. Uh, Nick is watching. Hello, Nick. I should thank you for doing all the plugs that I should have done weeks and weeks ago. Right, uh, we'll leave there. Have a good week, everyone. Hopefully you perk up after the uh, events of yesterday and Forest bounce back against Brentford and then Palace and also against Spurs in the League Cup so we can go back to Wembley. Uh, thanks very much and we shall see you soon. <laughs>